Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in, listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Well, stand with me if you would, please. I want to welcome all of our online audience, and uh, thank you for joining us today from wherever you are. Lift your Bibles up. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, today we'll conclude the series entitled Damaged Goods. And for those of you who have uh, either missed this month, maybe this is your first time here, the idea behind this message is to help us understand that all of us have been hurt, all of us suffer, all of us have pain, all of us are damaged, if you will. The reason God sent his son into the world was not because we were good, not because we were perfect, not because we are in every way whole, quite the opposite. He sent him here because he knew that we were all damaged. That's why the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so today, if this is your first day, the idea behind damaged goods uh, really comes from a a story that was uh, told to me about June of 2014, a very good friend of mine having gone through what I went through, said these words. He said, well, you're damaged goods. It pierced something in my soul in that moment. Even though I know his heart was right, his words were wrong. You never want to tell someone they're damaged goods. I would look and say, you know what? You have great opportunity. Remember, you're going through. And so we want to encourage you today and let you know that uh, God has great plans for your life. No matter what you've done, where you've been, God has plans for your life. So if you would, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. It's very important that we understand there are two sides to the supernatural. There is the demonic side and there is the God side. Now when I say that, don't freak out. The Bible tells us that uh, we don't battle in carnal ways, that we battle spiritual forces of, of wickedness in heavenly realms. So when we pray, what we're doing is we're trying to access God to know God's plan and heart for our life and, and so that we will be able to walk out that plan and His will. And so the Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, which means he comes to damage you in spirit, mind, and body. Wrong thoughts, wrong behavior, wrong choices. He comes to steal your destiny. It's not like he's coming to kill us physically. He's coming to kill the dreams and the hopes that were born in us at birth. That God put those things in us and he comes to steal those. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly. That's what our hope is for you here at Mosaic. In Mark chapter 16, the greatest of all gospels. Verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, mother and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they 
might go to anoint Jesus' body. Now understand, in biblical times, women, you think there was a lack of respect for women today and, and that women were not equal today. In the Bible, they were not even close to equal. They were discounted in every way. They really were not esteemed at all. And yet we have three women here who had followed Jesus very closely. Historians say that they had even supported Jesus' ministry financially that they had the wherewithal to resource what Jesus was doing. So here we see in Mark chapter 16 the mention of these three ladies. As a matter of fact, historians say Mary was the most popular name in that day. And actually, they say that this really very early on the first, along with Mary after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. Now, please understand something. Here we have disciples, followers of Jesus, who really went into hiding for fear that they too would be mistreated or crucified the way Jesus was. And yet, we have three women who not only were there at his crucifixion, but on the first day they knew where they had put him. They obviously had followed uh, Joseph of Arimathea to to the tomb where he would be buried, and they knew where he was. They obviously watched the stone be rolled over the opening to the cave. They were very, very supportive, very committed to Jesus. It says, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? They weren't even there yet, and they're already contemplating, how do we get to Jesus? They're not esteemed, they're not respected, they're ignored by everybody, but they're not ignored by Jesus. Now, women, this is your day. Understand something, that God doesn't look upon man and go, oh, I love man and want, there's a woman. God loves all people. It doesn't matter male nor female, red, yellow, black and white. We are all precious in his sight. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and... They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Now, this is an angel sitting inside the tomb. The tomb was much too big for one person to roll it away. And and the soldiers had fallen asleep. And and all of a sudden, uh, God does what he said he would do. On the third day, he would be raised. And so the angel wants to assure the women that Christ has risen, as he said he would. But go tell his, his disciples and Peter. Now, this is an interesting twist. And, and from the Bible, you won't know the details of this. But historians say that Peter was actually very jealous of Mary Magdalene. She was very boxed in, full of perfume. And the disciples are freaking out because they said it's worth a lot of money. And so Peter's jealous, so it's interesting here. You won't catch this. Just reading it, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. Now, you think you've got issues? I don't have seven bedrooms in my soul for demons. Now, this freaks some of you out, but this is the Bible. And understand that there were attacks. Now, there is 
possession and oppression. Most people in the world today would experience oppression, that uh, a darkness, a cloud, a doubt, a fear over their lives. And, and so the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He began way back when in the garden when he came and tempted Eve. And we see him trying to steal the destiny of Mary Magdalene. But she pressed in to Jesus. Listen, we don't get what we want. We get what we will. Whatever you will to do, whatever you will or whatever your purpose is, when we press into Jesus is when we experience him. A lot of people, I wish Jesus would do this for me. I wish this would happen for me. It doesn't work that way. He's not a genie. This is I will to press in. The women were expecting Jesus to be raised from the dead. Where were the men? Thank you. One woman going, I'm going to help you out up in here. Because they pressed in. They, they followed him. They wanted him. The disciples are in hiding. Now, I'm not trying to discredit their position or their love for Jesus, but let me say this to you. We have to will things into being. I have three wishes. No, you have all the promises of God, and the Bible says they're yes and amen. The challenge is that most of us don't know what the promises of God are. I did not know my entire life until I got radically born again in my 20s. I did not know there was such a thing as the promises of God. I thought God was just a mean guy with a Louisville slugger in heaven waiting to knock us into eternity. That's how the church appeared to me. The church people were mad. They were not kind. They were mean. They acted like they were happy that you were going to hell. Any of you ever been there? Maybe it was just my church. But I thought, y'all are miserable people. And there is no hope for somebody like me. And I didn't think there was because I knew who I was. And a lot of people knew who I was. In fact, when I started my first church here, a girl that grew up down the street from me on the same street I grew up on came. And when she heard we had done some marketing here, and she came to the office of, of the, the, my secretary and said, Is this the Mark Crow from Berry Hill? Because she didn't believe it. And, and so I'm just saying... I was damaged, and I thought I would be damaged the rest of my life. I had no idea that God was the same yesterday, today, and forever. We don't serve an age of miracles. We serve a God of miracles, and that what he did for others, he would do for me. And if he cast seven demons out of a woman like Mary, he could handle a few out of us. She was damaged, to say the least. Now, how many of you know that today we, we talk about mental illness and there is a lot of mental illness? I would say Mary was one of the first mentally ill people uh, in the Bible that, that's really reflected that way, that she had real challenges. It wasn't that she didn't love God. It wasn't that she didn't want God. It wasn't that she didn't love Jesus and didn't want Jesus. This was her condition. She had been damaged. And so what we have to realize here is nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. If God did it then, he'll do it now. Whatever you're facing, whatever your family's facing, whatever your husband, your wife, your kids, whatever they're facing, nothing's impossible with God. Now, typically things don't happen overnight. We walk and did damage life. We're not lifted out of it. We don't wish our way out of it. We walk out of it. And the challenge is, most of the time, the reason we stay in the condition we're in is rather than talking about the potential we have, we talk about the problems we possess. 
And we keep talking about them and talking about them and talking about them. But Mary decided, I've had enough of living life this way. She went to this dinner uninvited. She did not have an invitation. There were no women there. It was Jesus and his disciples. They're in a private meeting room. They had rented a place at Charleston's. And this woman walks in uninvited, and she has a box, the famous alabaster box with perfume in it. And she walks in, and, and, and because Jesus had delivered her, she said, I, I just got to do something for him. And she, she walks in, and she bends down, and she lays the box there before him. And she's weeping with everything in her for what he had done for her. And she's crying, and her tears are falling on the feet of Jesus. And she obviously had long hair, and she began to wipe his feet with her hair. The disciples get critical. And they try to stop her, and Jesus said, hold it. When I came in, you didn't do anything. And back in that day, it was cultural. Culture for people, they wore sandals. Their feet were dirty. So when they came into somebody's house, the highest honor was when you went to them, took their, uh, their, their shoes off or their flip-flops or their whatever they had, and you washed their feet. Jesus said, you didn't do any of these things when I came in, but this woman has not stopped wiping my feet with her tears. They looked at her as damaged goods. Jesus looked at her as good. Yeah, we've all been hurt. Yeah, we all have pain. Yeah, we've all made stupid decisions. Yeah, we've all been wrong. Yeah, we've all been done wrong. We've had all those things. Listen to me. Don't get sucked into believing that it's a pattern in your life. That it has to keep on being this way. You'll have to work against the grain of up, the environment of your home. I grew up in a very fearful home. A very, uh, very fearful home. Everything. I mean, my, I, my dad built three homes. Very gifted man. He built three homes. And every home he built, he built with the windows up high because he didn't want anybody to be able to walk up and look into our windows. He didn't want anybody to be able to get in easy. My mom had like three layers uh, of window treatment. She had mini blinds, she had shears, and she had heavy curtains. And let me tell you, you couldn't see into our house, much less break into it. Extreme fear is what I grew up in. Fear of lack, fear of being attacked, fear of being... I had so much fear of my life that, that it damaged me. It, 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 it paralyzed me. It kept me from believing that, that God could do anything in our lives. We were self-protected. Let me tell you, God is your defender. God is your protector. God is your provider. Whatever lack you have, God is all-sufficient in that area. So in order to get over our damaged lives, listen to me, you have to go against the grain. You have to hear the cry of humanity. Let me tell you what the devil will do. The minute you start serving, let me, let me just tell you how this works. The minute you start doing anything for God, the devil will start talking to you through other people about who you are and who you're not. You can't do that. You're an alcoholic. You're a drug addict. You're this. You're that. And you know what? Some of the greatest evangelists, let me just tell you something. I, can't, I won't give you their names, and you wouldn't know them anyway. They, they're, I just studied uh, evangelistic history. But a lot of people that spoke to multitudes had alcohol issues. And God did signs and wonders through them, and yet they had addictions and issues. You say, well, why would God do that? Because the story was never about them. It was always about God. You say, if somebody says, well, I've watched your life. I'm not talking about my life. I suck me 
This is a conversation about how much God loves me inside of how much I suck. That's what the story's about. And yet we get caught up in whether or not I deserve to tell his story. Paul said, I don't care who's telling it. I just care that his story's being told. Even if it's with wrong motivation, I want the story to be told. He's sitting in prison. And he, somebody tells him, they're talking about, he said, I don't care. Let him tell his story. This is not my story. It's not your story. It's not our story. It's his story. And nobody has ever been qualified to tell his story. Except by grace. That's the only reason I can stand up here today. Is because it's not about me. I mean, there are, I mean you got to understand, the world has opinions about people that speak all over the world. I've traveled the world and preached the gospel. And then all of a sudden, my world falls apart. And God says, no, 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 no. This is not about your world. It's about my world. And just come to my world. Just stay close to my world. Talk about me. Talk about me. Because Jesus is the redeemer, the salvation of mankind. You remember Moses? Oh, by the way, Moses was a murderer. We never talk about Moses being a murderer, David being an adulterer. We never talk about that. David could throw a rock. He's the first guy that got somebody stoned. <laughs> we never talk about those guys that way. You know why we don't? Because we focus on their faith in God in spite of their sin. They kept on keeping on. You say, well, they shouldn't. They should have been disqualified. Talk to God when you get to heaven. I want to be invited to that conversation. It's not going well for you. God's going to... David, who was spoken of as a man after my own heart, he killed a giant. Those are the things we talk about. We applaud. We go crazy. And then, then we go, hold it. He had a, an adulterous affair. And then he killed her husband. Come on, somebody. David could not find a church to preach in this year. Why? Because all of a sudden when we do that, we're talking about his story. We're not talking about God's story. If you're damaged, you have damaged thinking. Damaged thinking is, I can't do this because I. No, I can do this because of he or him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't do all things through me because I have strength or skill or ability or influence or talent. I don't get to do it because of me. I get to do it because of him. And I will tell his story till the day I die. And there are some really neat people out there telling his story that you wouldn't believe they even knew him. And it really doesn't matter because it's not about them. Truth is truth. It never changes no matter which mouth it comes out of. Jesus is the Son of God. If I say it, or somebody who's lost says it, it's still the truth. It says in Exodus chapter 3, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, God said, and I have seen the way Egyptians are oppressing them. If we want to be like God, we have to hear like God. We have to, I have to hear the cries of people. Do we hear the cries? Are they drowned out by social media? The busyness around us. There's so many wonderful things to do today. So many fun things. And I think we ought to have fun. But the reality is that we must never have fun at the expense of people dying and going to hell without our voice giving glory to God. 
doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we say all the right things, do all the right things. What it means is we love the one right person. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three in one. God said, I've heard their cries. What does it take to hear the cries of the world around us? Hurting people, damaged people. How do I know that? They're damaged. Listen to this. The absence of joyful noise tells me that people are living incarcerated by the sins or damages that have been done in their life. When people aren't joyful, have you ever asked somebody how you're doing? Doing good. Really convince me. When I was walking on my college campus, I'll never forget, being a theology student, we were, we were the weird ones, lawyers and theology students. We're kind of in the same camp. It's really a horrible confession, but it was true. And, and uh, I remember seeing people I had class with, and, and we'd walk by each other going really fast because we're on our way to another building, another class, and we have to get there. Hey, how you doing? Doing good. There were days I thought, I want to say, I'm doing horrible, I need help. And to give the right answers. We're so concerned about giving the right answer. If you're hurting and you don't admit you're hurting, you'll probably keep on hurting. If you're, if you're a sinner and you keep on sinning, you'll probably keep on sinning because you've not addressed it. We address it every day. I have issues every day. Can I just confess to you? I have issues every day. I, it's just, I'm just telling you, it's the weirdest thing. You think, have you ever just had a random thought? You go, where did that come from? I mean, honestly, it's just amazing to me how, I mean, it's like you remember things that you don't even try to remember. And then you can't remember your phone number. I mean, I just memorized my wife's phone number after two years. And I'm not sure I even have it right because, why we have speed dial. I don't have to remember that. We're not listening. We're not watching. Listen, the void of references to the future. Do you ever talk about dreams, vision, things you want, things you believe in for, things that you hope will happen? Or have you quit? Have those dreams died inside you? Susan and I talk all the time about things that we, we're going to do or things we're going to have. Or, and it's not about the possessions. It's about just believing God for something. Let me say something to you. And I want to challenge you with this thought, and I want you to take it home with you. Have faith for something. What are you having faith for? Is it anything? Because the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. What are you having faith for? Having faith for your marriage? You're having faith for your kids? Are you having faith for your, your house payment? What are you having faith for? People who are damaged and walking in a damaged life are people who are joyless and I've been there, trust me. Not talking about the future, just surviving today. God did not send Jesus to earth for you to survive. In my neighborhood, growing up, survival was considered admirable and heroic. We're survivors. Have you ever heard anybody say, we're survivors? Our family, we're survivors. To boast about surviving? Really? 
When Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, it's a demonic ploy to get you to think survival is God's best for your life. Now, if you're surviving, don't get me wrong. I'm proud of you. I'm glad you are. But God doesn't want you to live in survival mode any more than he wanted Mary Magdalene to live in survival mode with seven demons. God said, I'm evicting them. God wants us to be free. Whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. Lastly, people who have hopeless speech. We're all called to be hope dealers. To deal out hope to a world that is hopeless. I mean, all you got to do is watch the news. Everybody hates everybody. Everybody's trying to mess everybody up. I just want to throw up on my phone, but then I have to use it. It's like, come on, man. Why are we hating on everybody? Got to hear the cries. We live in a neighborhood. I don't know how many of you drive by here, but, you know, this this community, I've been a part of this community now for over 25 years. And, and I drive by neighborhoods, and, and every now and then, and I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say not all the time, because I wish it was all the time that I've drive by. I wonder, wonder, I wonder if that neighborhood, whatever the name of it is, I wonder how many of those people know God. And it's not condemning. It, it should break our heart. How many people those have never been uh, told God loves them? They've just been told, you know what? You're, you're a sinner, and, and you just need to get things right, and here's what you need to do. There's only one thing that we can do to change the trajectory of our eternity. And that is to cry out to Jesus and say, please forgive me. It's not about whether you smoke, drink, cuss, or chew. Or hang out with people who do. Uh, uh. Break out in a little Seuss up in here. All right, now. I was afraid of the church. And that's what we've made it about. The, The world is so absolutely afraid of the church. I was afraid of the church. People in the church were just mean. The one I grew up in around, I mean, they were just, you know, I'd come in, I had long hair, they wanted me to cut my hair, they didn't like what I wore. So I just kept wearing it and letting it grow. And I wonder, because the church has condemned them. And, and, and we talk about what they're doing instead of what God has done. God's done great things for you. No matter where you're from, what you've done, God has done greater things than you've done bad things. His grace always triumphs over your sin. Where sin abounds, grace does more abound. Mother Teresa said that there are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a piece of love. Love never fails. Love never fails. If we are not touched by others' pain, others' damaged lives, then there is a good chance that we will never touch them. In Hebrews 4.15, it says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we, and yet without sin. Jesus was touched by everything that we would ever experience that was painful or damaging. He was touched. The reason we're not touching people is we're not touched by their pain. I get sad oftentimes when I see people. I get sad when I drive down by closed businesses because somebody lost everything. When I see a business shut down and I see it boarded up or signs, we, you know, we, we, we're out of business. Somebody invested their life in that. That was a dream and it's gone. I see somebody on a street corner and I go, it could be my kid. Instead of how dare you be on that corner. Now I get it. Some of them are taking advantage. I get that. But not all of them. Matter of fact, many of them are there because they made one or two wrong decisions and there wasn't anybody there. 
to encourage them and lift them up. Now, I'm not blaming us. I'm not trying to condemn them. I'm just simply saying, folks, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was no different. You were no different. We were no different. We must not only hear the cries of humanities, but we, but we must know the cause of, of Christ. Luke 4 says, The Spirit to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set, to set at liberty those to fall festival. And I want you to hear this. The reason we're doing this is because of our community. There will be people that will come to this event from the church and the church world, and we will be criticized, I promise you. But it makes me feel good because Jesus was not only criticized, he was crucified. And, and you say, well, it's Halloween. No, it's a fall festival. We softened it as much as we could. <laughs> it's like some people are afraid, we don't celebrate Halloween, nor do we. But there are people who do, and guess what? We're going to give them a celebration. We will have, we'll have some skeletons. And guess what? You have one. <laughs> At the end of all this, you're going to be a skeleton. Let me just tell you right now. <laughs> Come on, man. Your kids, your kids are seeing more than skeletons at 10 years old. So we're going to do some fun stuff. we got a secular band coming. Two of our players play in it. Matter of fact, they're gone this weekend playing uh, one of the best bands in the city. Most, but they play for us every Sunday. I love these guys. And you know what? Some, some churches say, well, you can't be playing where you play on Saturday coming to church on Sunday. Get it on over here, boys. Use your gift for God. We're going to bring people into worship. Now, the church I grew up in, they would, have done a, they would have done a series on you, and you'd have had to gone through about six months of classes to get up here. Here's what I care about. I'm like Paul. Just tell his story. That's all we care about. We want to tell his story. We're all a work in progress. But we got to hear the cries of people versus honoring the criticism of others about why we're doing things. I, years ago, I, I rented the State Fair Arena and, uh, because Easter was too big, and we had over 13,000 people at the State Fair Arena. 900-plus people gave their life to Jesus Christ. It, it, they walked the aisles, signed cards. And, and no, here's the funny thing. And all I did was I, I wanted, I, I was so desperate to get people there. I bought two Harley Davidson Sportsters. And I said, I'm going to give them away. Come and be a part of the drawing. You know what? I got criticism for giving away two Harleys. What kind of buffoon would criticize that? I'm thinking, I want to go to that church, which was exactly the plan. I mean, Jesus used bait. story ever told whether it's because all some people need is one opportunity to hear the greatest story ever told whether it's because they come because of Harley or not I was criticized I thought I don't really care what I care about is I want as many people to hear this story as I can tell it to so you can criticize all you want the cause of Christ God didn't have to send Jesus to walk 33 years on earth he could have said hey, Wiping that part out. There's Africa. There's the United States. Middle East. Boy, I just throw another earth out into the galaxy. I'm just trying to do an illustrated sermon. 
But he didn't. He heard the cries of those who were alive. And he said, here's my cause. For the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He came to seek and save that which was lost. And whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm almost done. Listen to this very carefully. True story right here. True story. Cause of Christ. Listen to this. This happened during the Holocaust. Where, let me just say this. Just let, just let this absorb. This morning I'm studying. I'm reading Jewish history. And I've been to the Holocaust Museum in Israel. It's, it's the most sobering experience you've ever experienced. We don't think much about it. We have the, the Murrah building. We have 9-11. And all those things were horrible. But listen to this. Just because these people were Jews... Over six million were exterminated at the hands of an evil dictator. Listen to this story. I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. I attended church since I was a small boy. We had heard the stories of what was happening to the Jews, but like most people today in this country, we tried to distance ourselves from the reality of what was really taking place. What could anyone do to stop it? King of the wheels moving over the track. We became disturbed when one Sunday we noticed cries coming from the train as it passed by. We grimly realized the train was carrying Jews. They were like cattle in those cars. I can still hear them crying out for help. God forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians yet did nothing to intervene. Their screams tormented us. When some of their screams reached our ears, we'd just sing a little louder. Have you ever wondered how people like me could have stood by and let the Holocaust just happen? Do you ever wonder why the Christians in this story chose to just sing their praise to God a little louder to drown out the victims' cries? Do you realize today there may not be railroad cars passing by, but on the streets of our city, the corridors of our corporate offices... The hallways of our schools are filled with people that are dying every day without knowing there's hope. I'm not trying to put a heavy on us, but let me tell you something. From the day I got saved to now, I've been an advocate of telling his story. I haven't always told it well. It hasn't always been eloquent. On the streets of New York City to the Mardi Gras, To bring hope to people that otherwise feel hopeless because in their minds all the church is. It's a bunch of people who have escaped the reality of earth. And that's not the case and we know that. But because we have been mean and attacking and we've talked about their story and how bad they are and what they're doing and what they shouldn't be doing. That they don't want to hear it again. They know how bad they are. Well, before I came to church, you didn't have to tell me I was a sinner. I majored in it. I excelled at it. I was the best. I just needed somebody to tell me there was hope for somebody like me. And there were two guys that I crossed paths with. That they and cool. God sent two guys that there's no way I would hang out with or relate to. But for some reason, I connected with them. Really wasn't what they said. It was how they treated me. They treated me 
like they would treat anybody else and everybody else. They just love me. I'm not asking you to know the four spiritual laws. I'm not asking us to be the sin sheriffs of the world. I'm just simply asking us to not ignore the cries and not recognize the cause. God sent His only Son into this world so that through Him we might be saved. Let's not sing louder. Mark chapter 10, verse 29, I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or feels for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. And the lastly, the cooperation of the church. We must hear the cries of humanity. We must know the cause of Christ. And we must cooperate with the will of God. We are the church. We're a haven of hope. A hospital for hurting people. One person said, before the service, before you come to church, speak to God. During the service... Let God speak to you. After the service, speak with your neighbor about church and God. Very simple life, very simple way. Here's the challenge, folks. How many of you have ever heard, you made your bed, lie in it? Are there any baby boomers in here? Do you feel the love of God in that? You made your bed, lie in it. I'd never sensed any love in that comment, in that statement ever. And let me say this to us. God will give you an opportunity to sow into somebody else's life. And without knowing it, you'll reap what you've sown into. Listen to this. True story. A farmer was working in his field many years ago. As he was going about his daily routine, he heard what sounded like a cry for help. He waited and heard the cry again. He went to see where it was coming from and what was going on. As he followed the sound, it got louder and more desperate. He climbed over a hill, and if you grew up in the country, you'd understand this. And he came to a muddy bog where he saw a little boy sinking slowly into the mud. The farmer waded into the mud, grabbed the boy, and pulled him to safety. Now listen to this. The next day, a rich nobleman came to the farm and told the farmer that he wanted to repay him for saving his son's life. The farmer refused, stating that anyone would have done the same thing. The rich nobleman then offered to put the farmer's son through the best school money could buy and that he would get a world-class education. The farmer thought about this rich nobleman's offer and the cost of an education and the benefits that his son would receive if he agreed. The farmer's last name was Fleming, and his son was Alexander Fleming, the doctor who discovered penicillin. A few years later, the rich nobleman that put him through school came down with an illness, and he was cured by the antibiotic that Alexander Fleming discovered. The nobleman's name was Lord Randolph Churchill. The boy the farmer saved years earlier was Winston Churchill. We never know what a conversation today will do for somebody's future and their tomorrow.
Never minimize a conversation that you have. William Temple said the church exists for those outside it. Let me say this to you guys. We don't exist just to come together every Sunday and worship. We exist to make sure that this little piece of earth that we live in event that you're about to see at the end of October would not exist without my wife having a vision and a dream for reaching our community. There you go. She has worked tirelessly to put all of this together. She's recruited people. Some of you have helped, but I'm just telling you, she comes to me, she says, Mark, I'm trying to keep the cost down. It's about a $4,000 event. And I thought to myself, if one person comes to know Jesus, $4,000 is a drop in the bucket for their eternity. We're taking what we're doing on the inside and we're representing it to our community on the outside. I don't want you to... You, you, you listen to me. You're going to have every opportunity. Matter of fact, the last of October, October 27th of 2019, will probably be the most opportune day of the year because we're trying to reach lost people. Your favorite team's going to be playing on, on football that night. You're going to have an opportunity to go out and eat. You're going to have a lot of opportunities to do a lot of different things. Put it on your calendar now and say, I'm committed to this date. Listen to me. We have got to serve this community in a way that they need to be served. We've got to touch them where they need to be touched, scratch where they itch, and quit expecting them just to stroll in to us. Love them. Love them. Love them. As I used to say, love the hell out of people. And all the religious people go... Where do you think demons come from? Mary Magdalene has seven. Jesus loved the hell out of her. Listen to me. We got to stop playing patty cake with the devil because he wins every time. We got to rise up and we'll change in our lives, in our families, in our community. We have to will it done. We have to work it done. Let's make it happen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your only son. You could have said, I'm just going to start over, but you didn't. You decided instead to show us your power and your love. There are those of you watching online and maybe some of you in here that have never received Christ. You don't even know where to start. I didn't. I thought the only way I'd go to heaven was good works. I didn't know that, that God loved me so much that if I just called on his name, I'd be saved. I thought I had to cut my hair, dress like Christians. And I got to tell you, the Christians I saw dressing in my day, there ain't no way I was wearing those clothes. I thought I had to do all of that. But when I heard the greatest story ever told that God loved me so much that he sent Jesus and if I would just call on his name and acknowledge I'm a sinner that he would forgive me and that I would be born into the kingdom and my eternity would be secured. Maybe some of you have been told the wrong story. I'm telling you this story. God loves you. God's forgiven you already. And now what you have to do is receive that forgiveness. That's it. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. 
You can't work for it. You just have to accept it. So I want to pray a prayer. I want all of you in here to pray it with me. And I want those of you watching online to pray this with me. Say, Father God, thank you for sending your only son to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin. I declare I am forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.